Vodka. 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 Vodka o'clock. Hello, everyone. It is Vodka O'Clock once again, and I'm Amber Love from AmberOnMath.com. Joining me today is Jeremy Whitley from Action Lab Entertainment, and we're going to talk about his critically acclaimed series, Princeless, his new project, Dagonet, The Order of Dagonet, and um, other news from Action Lab. Jeremy, thanks for coming. No problem. Glad to be here. So uh, we finally got to meet in person at Baltimore, which was quick and fleeting, as they say in the con world, sort of the, the drive-by, hi, finally, great to meet you, and run away. <laughs> yeah, great to meet you. Give me free stuff to charity auction. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> like, um, that's uh, Yeah, that's how I meet most people. I'm like, hey, love your stuff. Can I have something for free for the auction? <laughs> but it yeah. helps. Well, that's, that's kind of how, especially, like, shows like Baltimore work because they're so big and so busy that by the time you actually find somebody you're like oh hey you're you good to meet you bye bye exactly and um yeah at, at least I love when there's at least been some sort of preliminary interaction like through Twitter and Facebook and something and at least when it comes to Action Lab I know I think almost the entire staff <laughs> from like everywhere else from before Action Lab days so um so at least there's been this uh, familial connection as the as the company got started and off the ground. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, we've pretty well all been around the block a few times. So, how did you get on board with with Action Lab? Um, that's a funny story because um, it's uh, actually because of Princeless. I had actually done the first issue once before. Um, I'd been working with a different artist who was a friend of mine. Who um, we did the one issue. Um, it was not nearly as pretty as it is now, and um, we had printed them ourselves, you know, through a print-on-demand company, and we're selling them. And um, they weren't making enough money for him, so he went back to doing his graphic art, which is what he normally does, and was like, "Yeah, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore." So I was carrying around um, a couple uh, giant plastic packages of Princeless. And um, I ended up getting uh, sat next to um, Dave Dwanch and Kevin Freeman at Heroes Con a couple of years ago. And um, it also happened to be the con that was going on the same time that they uh, founded Action Lab. You know, because they, they all got frustrated at that con because we all had lousy weekends at that Heroes Con. Um, yeah. Nobody sold out anything. Um, so they decided that they were going to work together to, you know, actually do a do a company together and get it all figured out. Um, and I just happened to you know, do that that usual uh, exchange of goods at the end of the show with Dave um, and gave him Princeless and uh, a couple of other things and picked up some of his stuff. And, uh, you know, he sent me an email a couple months later that were like, man, this is the sort of thing I'd really like to work on. Uh, you know, I wish, uh, I wish I had gotten to you first. And I was like, well, guess what? <laughs> free so he uh he set me up with uh mia who you know drew the first mini series and um i guess i guess it's been going on long enough that I, I can actually say the rest is history now right yeah i think so i mean i think at this point when princeless uh really took off and it was just sort of this incredible fervor because Action Lab 
was new. And even though, you know, like Dave and, and Sean Pryor and Cameron Freeman, everybody was so, somewhat connected because of PKD media days and just from um, being such good friends for years. When, you know, they expected their own friends and their own current network to know about things like space time condominium and then they, you know, those, their own work. But then Princeless came on and it's like, hey, look, we were very, very serious about making changes to the comic market. And here's our example of that. And the next thing you know, there's an Eisner nomination, right? Right. Uh, it's, I feel like it did kind of happen like that. It was um, it was weird because when it first came out, like the first issue came out and our numbers on it were terrible. Um, we sold like five or 600 copies total to, to retailers through the direct market. And um, I remember Dave calling me and being, you know, kind of upset about the numbers. And it was my first one I'd ever actually solicited through the direct market. So I was like, okay, whatever. I mean, that's that's about four or five hundred more copies than I've ever sold of anything on my own. So that's a plus. Um, but you know that it got out, and I I managed to get it to you know some reviewers and some people that that did talk about it and um you know it ended up being one of those things that like by the time anybody knew about it like issue three and four were already coming out um so nobody had it and i kept getting all these people that were you know getting up with me on twitter or facebook or through the email and just they're just like where can i find this book how can i get it it's like you can't um that was exactly the problem that i had because um I was able to get issue one uh, directly from the booth. And then um, I went back to my retailer and said, you know, I trust me on this. You, you're going to want to at least carry one copy to have on the kid's shelf uh, just to see how it does. And she loved it. She absolutely thought that, that it was fantastic. And so she only ordered like a small amount for issue two or something like that. So then when I went back into the store and issue three was sitting there, I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to get issue three unless I can get two and two was not available. And I kept asking Kevin, you know, how, how can we get this back printed? And um, so it was just, it was sort of one of those mystery things where I'm like, well, I guess I could read it with sort of a hole in the story. And then, you know, once I waited long enough and the collection was available. Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting because like it, it got successful in, in little spurts there and people couldn't find, you know, one or two or three. Um, and you know, diamond wouldn't let us do reorders because the numbers hadn't been good enough to support it in the first place. Um, so like, they they really held tight to that for a while and then I guess they just gave up like I guess enough people asked about it that they just they were like okay you can do you know reorders on these and then when the trade came out we we sold more trades than we did any of the single issues and then like have had reorder after reorder after reorder on that well I believe that that's simply going to be how the comic market is shifting I think I just think that people are, get more enjoyment out of a longer read 
you know, sitting down and getting through four to six issues or longer in one moment rather than waiting for monthly or perhaps quarterly, depending on what kind of schedule your team is able to keep. I think that there are going to be, you know, really only limited mainstream titles and the indie titles, the typical preview stuff. You can see how small the previous catalog is now compared to what it used to be. Yeah. I just don't think that people are going to be on that this monthly schedule for for many more years because they're just all going to be switching to a different sort of uh people keep telling me about the European format that that's where we're heading and if they're smart and they want to actually make some money then that's that's what the US market needs to do. Yeah, and I've um honestly myself I have done I've done it a lot that way for a while. Like I usually get a select few books in single issues. I have some that I, you know, subscribe to. But then um in a lot of cases the stuff that I really like, the stuff that I'm really into, I'll get in trades just cuz I know I'll lend it to people. Like and I like I feel much better and they feel much better when I hand them a book rather than like a pile of cellophane wrapped single issues. Yeah. I think it's great, and it just it does have I don't know, it it looks better on a shelf. Obviously, when you're not storing ugly ass white boxes in your house. <laughs> um, I just yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of the trades, and that even goes for the digital mobile reading. It's the same thing. It's like okay, so I just read one issue. Now I have to sit and wait. It's you know, it's everybody's mileage may vary. People might might prefer those cliffhangers at the end of an issue and but I think when you sort of it's, a, it's not even a comic book um, change in trend necessarily because we see it with television and we see it with movie franchises when uh, you know as soon as an episode of something is out people are already speculating and looking for the spoilers of the next episode so um I mean, they're absolutely ravenous when something is in the making. So I think that when it comes to comic book reading, people aren't going to want to wait one month in between issues anymore. Well, yeah, the sort of the problem with that, and it's just something I've realized like recently, is that like they we've been following in comic books more and more like the TV show model where. Um, you know, in the last few years, shows that have really been popular, like Lost and Breaking Bad and stuff like that, they're uh, they're not episodic. They're just a chunk of a larger story. Um, so, you know, comic books are getting more and more like that. And um, I think a lot of people give, like, they give Bendis a hard time about that. But I think, if anything, he's contributed to, um, to comics in that way, is making them more more like TV shows, more... Uh, big. They have stories that don't. They don't end. Um, and I think you're seeing, to some extent, you're seeing. I think a reaction in the opposite way because um, the most talked about book right now is uh, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, which is like one and two episode arcs or one and two issue arcs. So, you know, he's doing like the most recent issue is a one and done. The first one um, was a one and done. The second one was that. So. Like, you can pick up an issue and read it. It's just packed with stuff. And then um, when you're done, you don't have to come back for the next issue. It's not that kind of pull. 
but people are like people are really digging it. That's good. I, I, um, I do like things that are very contained. It's one of the reasons that I enjoy a solid, uh, limited series or mini series so much. If it's three issues, I'm thrilled. It sounds crazy to only get three issues in a year of something, but, um, you know, if it's three issues or six issues, I, I just, it's a more pleasurable reading experience because I like closure and set up at the same time. I want to know, okay, there's, you know, I can see that the characters have left off here, but at the same time, I'm not constantly going, Oh, but they never wrapped up that storyline and then, um, changed creative teams six times. (laughs) I know that that's something that goes on and it's, probably a little bit harder on the writing end when a, che- a team changes like that because you're sort of the, the captain of the ship. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been reading Birds of Prey for over a year and they've changed artists four times. Yeah. I, you know, I just, I finally signed off of Birds of Prey just because I was, I was frustrated with the, um, the art in it and as much as I like uh Dwayne um when I read Birds of Prey honestly I want Gail Simone and he's not Gail so yeah he made no bones about it that he wasn't you know that he wasn't her and he wasn't going to be it wasn't going to be the same book but I think when they bring Jim Zub on um I think he's, he's got a much softer side to him so I think people might get back what they were perhaps missing. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna check it out when Zim, when Jim comes back on. If nothing else, just because uh, he's a great guy and a, a good uh, creator with a, a mind to you know the indie market. Um, I follow a lot of his blog stuff and uh, I do too. And I, and it's one of the things that I really uh, enjoy about him because I you know I haven't been reading Skull Kickers, but yet I will listen to every interview with him. And it's just uh, and read his blogs, like you said, he really understands the the backside of the industry, and it's pretty fascinating when when he gives out the details that he does about the cost of a book, um, cost benefit analysis, if you will. Yeah, and it's it was really neat with you know the trade of Princeless to have him do that little. I mean, it's just a couple of pages, but it's a quick you know Skull Kickers Princeless crossover. Yeah. And that was just, that was kind of something that, you know, he and Mia knew each other and they, um, they were like, Hey, we could do this. No wait, We really could do this. And then it just happened. And I was like, okay, sure. That's cool. Yeah. I'd love that sort of, um, the personality that it takes to just be open-minded and welcoming and supportive of the rest uh, instead of. (laughs) Certainly thinking that things are competitive. Like, oh no, you're another fantasy book. We don't have room on the shelf for you. Yeah, I I find myself having to having to like I'm always really supportive of other indie guys, but occasionally I find myself having to like pull myself back because I I look at you know books that were creators of books that were coming out you know just the same time as when Princess started, um, and they're you know, you've got guys like Justin Jordan, who was doing uh, uh, Luther Strode, who's now doing, you know, another Luther Strode, and he's doing books for DC and everything. And I think, man, he really took off. 
Yeah, he got everywhere. He got everywhere fast. But yeah, he uh, he certainly worked for it. So I mean, I can't I can't begrudge it of him. And uh, you know, I absolutely understand why DC would want to snap him up because, and he's an excellent writer of that dark and visceral, which is apparently what DC is doing these days. So I don't. I I honestly don't know if there would be like a place for me at DC if they did, you know, read my book and say, "Ah, oh, I really like him." I like I don't know if I am able to write the kind of books that they seem to be going for these days. So. Well, it's um we're going to talk about Princeless and explain um why if if it were the sort of thing where you know, you're you're with a small press company like Action Labs, but if DC had picked it up instead why it would fit perfectly fine in their kids line um and it's because it's uh, as we said it's a fantasy genre book and it's about a little girl who's a princess and um she just absolutely can't stand the thought of somebody else uh giving her telling her what her destiny is and when she turns the appropriate age she gets locked in a tower guarded by a, you know a mythical beast and in her case it's a dragon and has to wait for a prince to rescue her and if he gets through and he saves her then he gets to essentially keep her like property as a wife so she she doesn't want to put up with that and when i uh was talking to jeremy i was i was mentioning how it was like just sort of that um that universal hive mind uh, when uh, all of a sudden Disney's Brave came out <laughs> right after Princeless did. Yeah, it was um, it was one of those weird moments because like, um, on either end of Princeless was a movie uh, that people were comparing it to because like when it first started, um, Tangled had just came out. And people were like, oh, it's like Tangled, where there's, you know, in the tower, and she gets out. It's like, well, no, not quite. But then a couple months later, it was like, oh, it's like Brave. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, I don't know. I guess, you know, that's the way people's minds work, is they have to, like, find a thing that exists and say, oh, it's like this with this. Um, But that's actually how we learned to pitch books in, in workshops, uh, because you need to give some people something that they will know and recognize and um, that way they can get it in their head. Because if you're just saying it's a genre fiction, which is appropriate for all ages, then it doesn't tell them enough. Yeah. When you say it's got similarities to Brave, but at the same time there are... Um, ethnic issues and um, that that you don't see normally in fa- in fantasy and uh, you know so I just think that there's I mean there's really there's nothing wrong with saying okay it's like if you cross brave with tangled I mean those are if you're going to be compared to something being compared to, <laughs> to to those are pretty impressive yeah absolutely I think um, I, I think you know Disney for for the fault I often find with it, um, you know, they make good comics, or they make, sorry, not good comics, they make good movies. Um, so, you know, it's there's far worse things to be compared with. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, it, it, if somebody came along and said, well, you know, that princeless book is kind of like a reality show, then be like, oh, no. I mean, <laughs> how just fundamentally wrong and crushing that would be. So I think com- being compared to something extremely successful and that people talked about for months, but they're still talking about, I think that's a great thing. Um, and it also, when it comes to princeless, it opens up discussion, like we said, about uh, about gender roles. There was a lot of a lot of talk this year about gender roles, identity, um, pa- parenting in general, like parents that that want gender neutral toys. So when it comes to princeless and these different characters, her her little brother, um, they're twins, right? Actually, yeah. he just comes off as very immature because he's a boy and she's so strong and he's the poet um but they're they're twins and their personalities are so incredible they're they're different and they love each other Uh, so i wondered how you got there how you got into the ideas of building not just your main character but a supporting cast like this you know an overbearing father a nurturing mother um sisters that are i don't know we don't get to see much of them by the by this point and uh but this brother who uh you just sort of you can't help but feel sorry for him in the position that he's in because he's taught that you know proper boys grow up to carry weapons and kill things (laughs) it's not what he wants to do yeah um absolutely i think what you know what I wanted to do is is present to you know with devin a sort of um you know as a as a boy in his position, he gets literally everything that Adrian wants um which in a lot of these you know types of stories where you have the you know the female lead who's um stronger or more ambitious, that tends to be like a oh he's a jerk, he has this and that and the other. But he doesn't want it. Like, Devin doesn't want any of this. Um, you know, Adrian would love to have that role thrust upon her, most likely. But um, he is he is just the opposite. He would like to be able to just, you know, do his own thing and be able to um, go with what interests him, which is a lot more of, um, you know, he does poetry, he makes things, he's... Um, I mean, just he's a good all-around kid, but he is not at all what his dad wants him to be, and that's uh, I think that's just as as common an issue um, with with boys as the opposite is with girls. You just don't tend to see that quite as much in uh, comic books. Yeah, I would agree that you don't, and it is something that people very commonly go through. Yeah, I I think comic books about uh, you know. Guys that make clothes are generally not as high selling as, you know, comic books about girls that write dragons. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in uh, in this first story arc of Volume One, in Issue Three, Issue Three was my favorite of them uh, because that's when uh, they she she's at this point left. Um, left tower and is setting out on basically her big grand quest, which is to free her sisters. And in doing so, she 
uh, needs to be disguised and she's armor shopping. So I laughed panel to panel in that issue because of the, like the, the very clear criticisms of the designs of characters that are typical in, in, uh, the, the genre comics like Red Sonja and Wonder Woman and and then you give kind of a nod to Xena like well hers isn't as bad but come on and uh, so can you remember as a male reader when you saw these costumes and thought they were ridiculous um you know it's uh, I think probably it set in a bit later on me than it probably does on most girls um because I'm a boy and uh, generally, you know, and, and I'm heterosexual. So my, my first thought is usually, oh, hot girls. But, um, you know, over time it becomes one of those things that like, especially as a writer and as you know, somebody that creates characters and cares a, a good deal about the women in my life, it became one of those things that I was just like, this is weird. Why is this something that exists? Um, and I think I think Wonder Woman stands out as like a, a prime example to me, um, which is why I used hers despite it not being as bad as a lot of the stuff that's out there. Um, just because Wonder Woman is that that symbol of female strength. She you know is, she's the one that people know. She goes out there and she fights, and she's you know not beyond using um, edged weapons and. Uh, lifting heavy things and throwing them at people. Um, but for some reason, she's not ever going to wear armor. Um, except in very, very rare circumstances, and usually when written by Gail Simone. Um, but it's just, um, I don't know, it was so weird for me um, to, you know, to not be able to get into Wonder Woman comics uh, despite loving the character, because I felt that it was such a weird treatment of her. Um, and every once in a while, you read or see something where it's it's done right. Um, and that was, I mean, that's kind of my my ambition is to be able to do, you know, with with you know Adrian to really be able to take what um, characters like that are supposed to be and, and actually keep it consistent. Because um, you know she has she has weaknesses and she has problems and she is a girl and she is 16 so um, you know she does have issues as things go but she's not going to be running around in a, a chainmail bikini anytime soon. Right, and uh, you know, and it's something that um, obviously it's you know we're talking specifically here about an all ages book and when characters in lines like DC have different lines they'll have a young reader's line and then they'll have their um traditional line and you know these things tend to be different even from the animated versions so uh but a character for example like starfire uh her teen titans version is wearing this adorable little dress little mini dress or whatever but then you see the regular mainstream version of her and it's shocking yeah it's it's almost like why is this even the same character? Um, there's a, they they write in explanations for it. They write in that well she's empowered her she doesn't care about this. It, she embraces her sexuality. But when um, when you are talking about a young audience, you don't want it to really exploit even a fictional character. 
Um, and I just think that that's, uh, you know, I think it's considerate that, that you even addressed it and you did it in a really funny way. Um, because it's not like you're hiding a metal bikini, say, you know, you, you put it there on the mannequins and you, you had Adrian trying on the different outfits and looking awkward and looking uncomfortable. And, um, but it's, you know, it is a somewhat reflective of real life because this year our, our, I think it was our U S female fighters in Afghanistan finally got appropriate Kevlar for their body forms <laughs> and it, it took this long. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you go back through history, like Joan of Arc had armor <laughs> and, you know, we, we couldn't do this. We couldn't work out this Kevlar thing sooner. <laughs> yeah. That um, was actually like, that was one of the references that I used when we were um, going back and forth on Adrian's armor. Cause um, when Mia was designing it, I was, I was like, I want something that's, that's real armor. Um, you know, it's okay for her to look, female and it just doesn't necessarily or you know it can look feminine but it i don't want the armor to have um you know giant boobs or a plunging neckline or a bare torso or anything like that like that stuff doesn't make sense um because you know even in the the rare case that you do see somebody wearing armor in a comic book for some reason they have built like these giant metal boobs into the armor um and it plun like the armor plunges down halfway down the chest, and that's just that's just unsound for fighting people. For midriff, like okay, you've so you've covered up breast tissue, and then you leave this gaping area of of belly. <laughs> belly. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like the breasts would be probably. I mean, like that would be less da- dangerous just because your arm is right there to begin with, so you're more able to block that than your stomach so i don't know in fact it was just today um the there's a post um called uh, it's the i'm not really sure what the full name of this artist is but the tumblr is mart whim so it's m-a-r-t-w-h-i-m on tumblr and it's titled why do you hate the shape of breasts in plate armor so much and he actually draws diagrams as to how ineffective the actual cup shape, the, what we think of as a bra shape, would be in armor and how that would actually like, cause far more physical damage if you were to land on it or crush it or take a blow from it. And then uh, below is uh, pictures that he feels are, or she feels, I'm not sure who this artist is, were done right and has uh, Lily Sobieski in, uh, as Joan of Arc and then shows... Uh, Kristen Stewart and Snow White and the Huntsman. And then there's some CGI character. I'm not sure who she is. Um, but I just love that it's explained anatomically how it would actually be more damaging to have those, you know, ornate cups built into to armor plating. There's also a tumbler that exists. Um, I can't remember what it's called. I'm going to have to look it up for the show notes that has a oh it's called womenfighters.tumblr.com and it's women in reasonable armor <laughs> it's page after page collection of what real armor should look like or what real warriors should look like because even if it's not armor it might be uh, layers of leather and things like that so it's it's interesting to me that we have to point that out because if you were to draw 
a fantasy female character. She would probably have some sort of, you know, bare midriff with her, her breasts, you know, covered and that's it. And, and, you know, you might have like maybe some shin guards, and a, you know, something for, it's like, where, how is she carrying her sword? Isn't that just uncomfortable? And just the, the, the chain mail alone, it's like, it's like, just seems so uncomfortable. Yeah, and that was, I mean, that was a, a thing for me. It's like, I, I really hate on, like, the red Sonya outfit a lot. Like, that's just, it's just ridiculous. Like, um. Yeah, it's beautiful to look at. And that's as far as it goes. <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're not trying with that. Yeah, I'm looking at that Tumblr right now. And it's got a picture of Brand of Tarth, who, uh, I've not read the books, but in just what she was in in the second season, I love Brand of Tarth from, Game of Thrones, so she's okay. got she's got real armor, and she is a large, unattractive woman, um, but she really kicks ass. That's fantastic. Um, and and as we were, you know, as we're here talking about the armor, it brings into into the story this incredibly fun character, Bedelia the blacksmith, and. Um, you know, she's a, another great compliment to Princess Adrian because where we saw that her brother was very sort of shy and introverted and artistic, uh, Bedelia is just like all out there and her creative juices like are completely different. She's, she's extroverted about her creativity and, um, you know, and yet she, she's a really powerful female character because her dad's too busy being a drunk down at the the uh, mead hall, and she's got to keep the the blacksmith business going, and she does does so secretly. So, uh, you know, why uh, why did you even pick another female character in in a story that's already got Adrian as sort of like, you know, the standout significant character? Well, um. There's a, a couple of, of reasons and questions in there, and and part of it is, and I've had this discussion a couple times recently, is there's this weird um, thing in comics, and I guess in a lot of um, fantasy and sci-fi and everything too, that like the tendency is, if the character is not specified or it's not necessary that they be um, one thing in particular, they always default to white male. Um, I think that's um, weird um, that, you know, if mm-hmm. you know, I, I needed to have a blacksmith character there, um, and I felt like, um, you know, I, I felt like using Bedelia there and having a, a female character there, um, one, makes that conversation a lot um, less uncomfortable. Um, because if, if it was a, a male character blacksmith there, I think uh, either that conversation wouldn't be possible or um, it would be a lot weirder to read. Um, but I also, you know, I wanted to I wanted to give some kind of diversity to, you know, the characters in the story as well. Like, um, Adrian is, you know, she is strong and she is self-confident, but she's also a princess. Like she's not really had to do things for herself to this point. And this is a, um, 
it's kind of a novel thing for her having to provide for herself and get out there, and it's a, a choice that she's made. Um, whereas Bedelia is somebody who, um, you know, made this choice, but she doesn't feel that it's a choice that she made. She felt like feels like it was something that she had to do. It was, you know, her way to get by was to basically, you know, go behind um, behind your dad's back and behind everybody's back and, you know, do this all by herself. And that's, you know, that adds some kind of diversity to the characters there. And that Adrian is, she's headstrong and sure of herself, but with no good real reason to this point. Like, she's had no real adversity um, other than being locked in a tower. Um, but... Bedelia provides that sometimes sarcastic background voice that says, well, yeah, but you're still the princess. Right, right. Bedelia's definitely um, she's in survival mode, whereas Adrian was being precocious and rebellious. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, I definitely think that they're going to be an interesting look at the, the buddy partnership. How come uh, in... In volume one, uh, your name is solely as the the writer. And then what happened in volume two that you decided to uh, partner up with Emily Martin? Um, well, let's see. In in the first volume, um, you know, it was uh, myself and uh, Mia Goodwin was doing the art on there. Um, and uh, after the first volume. Um, you know, Mia had her own uh, comic that she had going on that she wanted to to work on. She does a, a web comic of her own, um, and um, you know, realistically, as somebody who had her own thing going, much like a lot of us, um, she didn't like she couldn't afford to have another um, you know creatorship. She had to go with things that were um, you know freelance that big companies were offering you know her money to do stuff um, so that she could support her own stuff. Um, and like that was that's something I absolutely understand and um, you know makes a lot of sense especially from the perspective of somebody who's you know struggling on that side of things myself Um, but you know uh, I met Emily also through Dave um, and you know we we talked a bit and ended up um, meeting at the Denver Comic Con she came out there to uh uh, to work with me on stuff and, you know, talk about Princeless. And, uh, you know, we really hit it off. And um, it's been it's been fantastic working on that. And she's going to be, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the artist from here on out. She's doing this volume. And uh, um, she's working on, well, we're already working on the next one a bit. Um, you know, so I'm still writing it. But uh, she is doing a lot of the, uh, the design work and creating stuff. And... Um, it's a real like it's a really nice relationship because I think there's a lot of people that work a lot differently when they uh, when they do comic stuff. A lot of people tend to stick with the corporate model where more or less they write a script and then they just send it off into the ether and trust you know for it to come out on the other side the way they wanted it. Um, but with us, you know, we we meet up you know about once a week or so and just. Um, on online and talk about what's coming up and what we want to do and um, you know through the miracles Dropbox we're able to like she's able to show me kind of um, everything she's working on and um, you know do all the 
the basic thumbnails and send them my way, and I can check it all out and say, well, you know, I was thinking more of this, or you might want to take, you know, keep a lookout for this because this is going to be this in the next series. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I, I like to work really closely with people I'm working with, and um, that's been great for me. So is there um, a traditional editorial process on the books that are through Action Lab, or is it more uh, since they're – are they just like, you know, create-our-own books where you guys are simply turning in the material and they're doing some distrib- distribution and promotion? Um, it's actually funny that you ask that at the moment because I'm uh, I'm butting heads with uh, Sean Gabarin, who's my, my editor on that a lot. Um, because, you know, I've, I've turned in all the scripts for volume three and I'm convinced that volume three needs to be five issues. And he's not convinced that volume three needs to be five issues. Um, so he's, he's making all these suggestions about things that I should take out. And I'm like, I can't take that out because that's going to be awesome. People are really going to love this. And, you know, we're kind of going back and forth on things. So we're trying to, to find a happy medium on it. But, um, I guess the more kind of direct answer to the question is, yeah, there is um, some, you know, traditional uh, editorial process because, you know, while it is mostly creator-owned stuff that we do, um, we do want it to be successful. Um, we don't have a setup like, you know, what Image does where um, if the book does terribly, we just cut it and move on. Um, and, that you know, all the all the money is going to kind of go Image's way to start um, to, to get everything, to get all their processes taken care of. But we want, we want to really, you know, our it ends up being a little bit longer of a wait to get stuff going up front, but we want to go through and edit things with people and make sure that they're to the quality standard we want. Because I know it's with myself, and um, I think most creators have a tendency to fall in love with their work when they're writing it. Um, <clears throat> So it's nice to have an editor there, somebody to look at it and say, well, really, this is really good, but um, this part is not good. So. Okay, so there's definitely um, sort of a middle ground. Yeah, I mean, Sean Gavron does most of the, the editing on the the, uh, the writing side, and then Dave will uh, do a lot of editing and approval on the art just to um, make sure that everything is consistent and looks right, has the right format for our books because, you know, it would suck to get to the point that you're getting ready to put something out or getting ready to put a trade together and your entire book is not in the correct format to be printed through our printer. Right. Yeah, that's stuff that I, I mean, I know nothing about. I, you know, for me, I can handle, I can handle the writing. I can, I can handle if, um, if the panel's not reflective of what I had in mind for a panel, mm-hmm. but when it comes to things like resolution and how big the margins and the gutter space should be, oh, I have no idea. Yeah, and that's I mean that's kind of the nice thing because we have um, we have more or less a, a guide for that. It's you know um, it has a standard ALE template where you know people can go in there and look at what the proportions are supposed to be on it and. Um, you know, how much um, gutter space you want to have on the outside and, um, you know, where you need to make sure that the word bubbles go. Because if the word bubbles aren't in the right place, they're going to end up getting cut off, and that would 
that has a lot more of an effect on the uh, the storytelling than if you know somebody's feet or the edge of their cape gets cut off. Absolutely. Um, give us an introduction now onto your other series. Um, my other series, which uh, has just started coming out through Action Lab, we're three issues in right now. Um, it's actually getting ready to go into uh, the first trade um, because the the first issue was double sized. Uh, it's called The Order of Dagonet. Um, now, for, for people that aren't familiar with who Dagonet is, which is most of the world, um, Dagonet was uh, King Arthur's jester. He's uh, basically he was uh, knighted as a joke at one point. Um, <clears throat> And the idea of the story is the Order of Dagonet is an order of knights um, in modern England who are all, you know, entertainment knights, like uh, <clears throat> what you see from Sir Elton John and Sir Patrick Stewart and Sir Ian McKellen. Um, and what happens is the, the mythological creatures of Britain return. You get uh, fairies and dragons and giants and um, harpies and uh, centaurs, all sorts of things. Um, just they return and take over. Um, and the only per, the only way that they can be stopped is uh, Merlin returns to summon forth the knights of England, um, and what he ends up getting are these uh, these celebrities who have all been knighted. And uh, so basically, our our core cast is a uh, burnout rocker, a uh, author of popular children's books about a mo- boy magician, and uh, <laughs> a uh, British Shakespearean actor turned uh, sci-fi original star um, um, will get summoned to to come fight the all these denizens of myth. Um, so basically, uh, it's a it's a little bit of uh, farce, a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of action, a little bit of comedy, a lot of comedy, um, and you get. Uh, kind of what most people find to be pretty familiar characters um, put in a, a very unfamiliar setting for them. It definitely seems like um, like if, if you could if you could play in the swimming pools of fan fiction from all different titles and you know and put them in a blender and just have your own fun with it that that's you know what you're looking to do and, and you're just you know able to formulate a storyline that's a real, you know, a solid plot, but still at the same time say, you know what, hey, uh, comics can be fun, so this is what we're going to do. Yeah, and that was a lot of the feeling behind it, is we really wanted to make it fun and really wanted to um, <clears throat> explore the, the fantasy stuff that we liked. Um, so, you know, we put together a, a merry band of knights, and basically they're... Um, they're facing off against there's there's a whole assortment of creatures, but they're more or less being led by uh, a coalition of uh, King Oberon, Queen Titania, and uh, of course Puck is a, a very important player in the story as well. So it's a little bit of a uh, little bit of Midsummer Night's Dream, um, and uh, a lot of uh, what would be I think probably the most popular reality TV show ever if you know Ian McKellen and uh, Ozzy Osbourne oh. had to fight off dragons. I I think more people would watch it. <laughs> um, now the art on this book is entirely different than in Princeless. You have uh, Jason Strutz 
as the artist, and it looks like he's using a a pastel style. I don't know if he's doing this digitally because I'm sure there's there's different, uh, you know, Photoshop has different brushes for everything that can give you every effect possible. But it really did look like uh, an oil pastel style to it, which um, if if anybody does isn't familiar with actual supplies, it's sort of like a crayon look. Um, so I did you consult Jason on that? Did you just how did it come about? Um, well, that's, uh, that's all Jason. Um, Jason is, um, I guess a, a fine artist by trade, um, and, you know, likes to use real media. He, um, uses a lot of, uh, he, he likes to say that he likes to get messy when he does art. Um, so basically what he does with most of those pages, um, <clears throat> is he goes in and does, um, you know, he does pencils, um, and he does, uh, usually physical, occasionally digital inks, depending on what he's inking. Um, and then, you know, he'll scan in the inks and, um, print it back out and basically go over it with, um, you know, he'll, he'll flat it with, uh, like, uh, now I've lost my word. Um, like a, it's like a spray paint almost. It's um like an airbrush, an airbrush brush or or in Photoshop. You mean a what? In Photoshop. Oh no, he's yeah. I'll, it's all um, really done. He'll um, he has like an industrial kind of airbrush that he goes through and does like the basic colors in. And then um, goes on top of them and does colored pencils to do, you know, the definition in there. Um, so most of it is most of his stuff is is actual physical art. Um, he usually brings it to shows with him, so it's uh, it's pretty incredible to look at. Um, and the pages come out really beautifully. Um, usually, the only thing he does digitally is, uh, you know, the lettering and um, the covers usually. Yeah, I had no idea that there were that many layers in it. Um, because usually, it, it's interesting the the different approaches that artists have when um, if they don't have to rely on that assembly line of doing thumbnails and pencils, then sending inks off to somebody else and sending colors off to somebody else, they they can adapt differently um, if they're doing the whole thing themselves. Like they, you know the they might not even need the flatting process. Yeah, it's um, it's it's pretty great. Like I I like having, um, you know, him do art on the book. Like he doesn't, you know, he's not a penciler or an inker or a colorist. He does pretty much all of it, and he can do all of them individually as well. Um, in fact, he's working on a couple of uh, other action lamp books, doing colors and stuff right now. Um, but yeah, his uh, his work is incredible, and it, it definitely like people pick it up and they notice. It, it looks like nothing else that's out there. And what's the uh, delivery schedule? Did you say on on this? Um, well, what we're doing right now is um, we did our first three issues. Um, they've kind of been delayed coming out, which uh, I think is a little bit uh, uh, Action Lab's fault and a little bit of Diamond's fault. 
Um, they got shipped a little late, and then they got distributed a little late. The second issue finally came out today. Um, the first issue has been in stores. Um, the first issue is 44 pages, and it's only five bucks. Um, so it's a uh, pretty good value there. Um, and then the third issue will be out probably in about a month or so. Um, and uh, from there, we're going to go ahead and do the trade, which is in previews right now. Um, so that'll be out in two months, and that's going to have uh, you know, the 44-page first issue plus two and three. Um, and then from there, we're going to, um, we're taking a little bit of a break to put out the trade so people can actually get it and check it out because, uh, you know, it's when you're launching a new book, be like, just like we talked about with Princeless, like it takes a while for people to hear about it and for it to get out there. So um, assuming everything goes well, we're going to go ahead with volume two. Um, and then, you know, from there, we'll, We'll see, but we're going to probably do it on a <clears throat> a monthly or bi-monthly um, from this point out. We've actually, since we were, this was like our original comic we were working on, we had a couple issues in the bag, which we've, you know, touched up a bit to, uh, to get through Action Lab. Um, but, you know, we're staying, we're trying to stay as well ahead as we can. Um, Jason actually, Jason and his wife just had a baby today, so I'm sure... Like Congratulations, Jason! <laughs> Yay! Congrats, Jason! So, yes, they had a very fertile over at Action Lab. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sean Yavreen and, and his wife Stephanie—they, uh, they're, they're darling. I, I love to follow their, their feeds, and their little one has gone through some <laughs> trauma in her early, early like first year. Oh yeah, she, you know. I've got a I've got an almost two year old myself, and um, they they posted about her getting sick and then um, actually having a, a broken bone at one point, and I was just like, no, no, that's not okay. It's oh, not okay. My little baby Lorelai, she's no, she's just too precious. Yeah, it's like I've never I've never met baby Lorelai, but when when baby Lorelai broke a bone, I was torn up. So. And her she had a little pink cast. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny for for me what having a what having a kid has done to me on that front. In that, like, I my wife is even worse on this, but I am I do not deal well with kids getting hurt, even in movies. Like when things happen to kids, I'm I'm much more prone to to cry randomly during movies now. So. Well, that's good. That, that uh, it's, it's softened you up a little bit. You had no heart before. Well, I've, I've always been soft, but now I'm I'm extra soft. <laughs> extra soft. Um, well, before I let you go, Jeremy, talk about um, Action Lab's new mature line, which uh, is called the Danger Zone, and why is it necessary, or why at least why did Action Lab find it necessary? to have an imprint as opposed to having a, a simple rating system and saying, you know, Princess is all ages and this one is teen plus and this one is um, mature audiences or max or something like that. Like what is, what was the point of specifically launching an imprint? Um, well, it was a couple of things. Um, first of all, we brought in um, Jason Martin who um, used to have his own um, publishing uh, through super real graphics um, and you know it was one of the things that we were doing that you know we kind of 
brought him in for Danger Zone. He more or less um, runs that process there, decides what kind of stuff we want to publish on the mature side, um, and has a lot more, um, I think, a lot more connections on the mature side than what some of us do, because that was kind of what Super Real did. Um, so we wanted to, to do that and give him kind of his own um, area to run around and play in. Um, but at the same time, um, we, we do have a concern, and this has been something that's um, been an issue in the last year with um, Dave Dwanch's and Bill Blankenship's uh, double jumpers, um, and that we have kind of gotten a reputation as being uh, the guys that put out Princeless. Um, and, you know, we've got all these kid-friendly books up there, um, and especially when we're doing conventions, people will just uh, wander up and pick up a book and just be like, hey, what's this about? Um, and having, you know, a book like Princeless right next to a book like um, Jason's, you know, Zombie Tramp um, can be problematic, especially at shows. Um, so, you know, that was a our biggest consideration there is we didn't want, um, you know, for people to get upset or confused when, um, you know, they come looking for uh, Princeless or our, our new, you know, NFL Rush Zone, and um, they get something that's a lot gorier and a lot tougher than what they would like. Okay. Because I know, I mean, I, I know it's pretty common that that's the way uh, publishing goes where you know they don't they don't necessarily rely on a rating system as much as they do with imprints um and then it's really sad when you see an imprint line sort of uh be jeopardized or you know so much is cut back like on vertigo you see see it's so much cut back um yeah i feel like vertigo has undergone a, a weird fate and it's very much of dc's own doing and that they had, <clears throat> I guess, you know, Warner Brothers changed their contracts uh, to be a little less friendly for creators that were looking for somewhere to shop their stuff. Um, <clears throat> and they did it at the same time that, you know, places like Image are really, really expanding their creator-owned stuff. Um, and then at the same time, they've made a concerted effort to bring a lot of the more mature side of the DC universe into the DC universe proper. Um, and honestly, with you know some of the stuff that goes on in the DC universe right now, having a specifically mature line is um, it's almost redundant. Okay. Um, and the the NFL book is going to be part of this more mature the the Danger Zone imprint. No, no. the NFL book is is going to be an all ages book. Okay. Yeah, it's it's based on the the Nicktoons cartoon, um, which is uh, NFL Rush Zone season of the Guardians. Um, so you know it's uh, football related. I didn't know football had a cartoon. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it just started up. You know, they did some basically mini episodes last year, and um, you know, they were fairly popular. But the new stuff is you know full length cartoons on Nicktoons. Um, the NFL has been really behind. Um, you know, they've really <clears throat> endorsed a lot of this stuff and been getting their, um, you know, players and uh, coaches and everything on there to uh, support the show. And uh, they've been um, 
really supportive of us so far. We're trying to get, um, basically, we're not doing just a, a cartoon version of the TV show episodes. We're kind of bringing in our own um, short stories. Um, I'm writing it with uh, Kevin Freeman, um, and we're doing, uh, it's going to have actually art by Mia Goodwin, who we were talking about did the first volume of Princeless, and uh, Jerry Gaylord, who does uh, Fanboys vs. Zombies, and probably uh, some other people as we go, because um, it's going to be uh, a regular monthly series, but usually uh, two stories in there, focusing uh, on, you know, some of the uh, the characters from the show and bringing in some <clears throat> some new characters and some new elements there as well. That's pretty cool. Um, I yeah, I really didn't know that much about the NFL project. Um, I I also was wondering if you had any updates on the Vamplets comic because that was something that Kevin and I had been talking about back and forth for a while. Because um, I've just been a, a fan of Vamplets for um, since I saw them at Toy Fair years ago. They are um, if you if you don't know Vamplets, they're these adorable little plushy toys. And they're like little baby werewolves and little baby vampires and little baby cyclops. And they're just, they're so cute. And you sort of adopt them, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say like a cabbage patch sort of way, but you, it's kind of like, you know, giving them a home. They're always looking for homes for them. And uh, the Vamplets group, uh, uh, Beth over there, she's just, uh, they're really great about reaching out to a fan base and to customer base. They have an interesting website. And so when I heard, that of all publishers, that it was going to be Action Lab working with them. I was just incredibly excited for, for that. So I, I, do you have any updates on that comic? Um, it's it's a very exciting thing for us, um, which it's sort of in a weird way led to the NFL thing. Um, it's because we, we met um, Beth and the rest of the gang at San Diego Comic Con. And, um, you know, we were... Uh, instantly drawn to their stuff, and um, you know they hadn't really thought too much about doing a comic, um, but it was something they were interested in, and um, so we talked, you know, with their licensing agents about putting everything together, um, and basically, you know, Beth is is the head writer on that. Um, you know, Dave is is helping her with some of the more uh, comic book type stuff of it, just because most people that normally write don't write comic books so um you know he's helping out a bit but it's all her original stories that she wanted to tell about uh her characters um <clears throat> we we spent a while looking for an artist because uh i mean obviously for anybody who's seen the um the vamplets beth really has a style that she likes and something that she wanted to to get through in the comics um so we spent a lot of time looking for um, exactly the right uh, artists for it, um, and it's it's in production now. I know they've uh, they've got a few scripts ready to go, and uh, they are working on um, you know getting the stuff for the first issue going. Um, but it's yeah, I mean they're a, a great group, and they're really supportive of their fans, and they've been supportive of us so far. Um, and uh, I I think. Uh, that series is going to be really awesome once it gets out. I'm really looking forward to that very much. And they're also another group that I hit up for free stuff for the Wonder Woman Day option. <laughs> they gave us pamphlets to, to give away. <laughs> so it was even before you guys teamed up. I, I uh, had my bases covered there. Um, 
Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on Vodka O'Clock this evening. Well, no problem. I'm glad to do it. Uh, where can people find you? What are the uh, the main websites for to to look for more information? Um, well, of course, there's um, actionlabcomics.com, which is uh, the home for Action Labs projects, all of them. Um, you can go on there and check out any of the stuff we've got going on, check out the creators. You can even buy um, digital copies through us. Um, you can also, of course, um, order our stuff from your retailer through previews. Um, you can get it through Comixology um, as well as Comics Plus and uh, anywhere that graphically serves, which is basically your your iBook store and uh, <clears throat> Kindle and Nook and all that good stuff. Um, in addition to that, me personally, you can find on Twitter at uh, jrome58, so it's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. Um, that's my, my personal account where I post uh, a lot of Twitter stuff and random thoughts I have throughout the day and things I see that I feel like posting. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> you can also check out Princeless stuff at um, princelesscomic.tumblr.com, um, which is where I usually go to post and repost a lot of the nice things that people say about it and some of the not-so-nice things that people say about it. Um, there's been a, a big controversy the last week because we released the uh, the cover for Volume 2, Number 2, um, which kind of takes a shot again at um, certain comics traditions. Oh, my goodness. I have to go look this up as soon as we hang up. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a cover about covers. Um, so it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and that series, the second volume is going to be a lot of fun, and that's uh, going to be in stores starting in February um, and going on out from there. Um, also, I guess the big thing that I need to talk about that we didn't is uh, free comic book day. Um, the ordering is going on right now. We have two books in free comic book day this year. Um, one is an NFL book, um, which is going to be, you know, part of the major series there. And we're uh, hoping to get some folks out to sign um, both from us and from the NFL. Um, that's very and, exciting. Yeah, that's, that's going to be cool. Um, and the second one, is uh, half Princeless and half uh, Jamal Eichel's Molly Danger. That's excellent news. Yeah, that's another uh, big book from Action Lab that's coming from uh, a much more popular creator than myself. Um, yeah, Jamal's been on Vodka Clock before. He, it's uh, I'm really looking forward to to Molly Danger and to his the other things that he's been uh, just like uh, trying to get out, but he's he's focused on on some of his other things first. Yeah, I think Molly is, is taking priority over just about everything at this point because that is really and truly his baby. He's been working on it for some time. So. Yeah, and if, um, you know, as, as readers and fans uh, or casual, casual comic shop goers, if you don't know, the reason that, that Jeremy's might sound more excited about Free Comic Book Day is because it's actually not easy to get into either previews or to be uh, accepted and have things put to, put out for free comic book day because first of all it's not actually free for the retailers the retailers are actually paying for those books um, out of uh, you know they're, they're smaller size books and uh, um, different stores have different policies as to how to celebrate that some people have um, limits as to how many per person you can you can take of a book um, but not just anybody gets their book out for a free comic book day issue 
Oh yeah, and ours are um, going to be our normal size. They're 24 full pages. Um, Jamal's is going to be kind of a, a preview of what we can look forward to in the coming months from Molly Danger. Um, mine is going to be a brand new uh, short princeless story that uh, is going to you know tie into stuff that's coming up and uh, hopefully some stuff that, that might uh, might go out from there. So anybody who is reading princeless or anybody who isn't can check it out, pick it up. You can read it as part of the series or just by itself because that's uh, the way it's designed and uh, it can get you started or definitely keep you going because that's going to be right coming toward the end of volume two um, when you pick it up and uh, hopefully we'll have a lot more stuff coming from that. Okay. Is there any other merchandise news that, um, that's coming out through any of the titles? Because for some reason, when I think about princess, I think that it would, it would make a really awesome coloring book. <laughs> um, we haven't really talked about coloring books at all yet. Um, there's nothing that I'm <clears throat> that we really have anything for absolute certain on. I know we had talked a lot early on about doing a shirt, and we'd still like to do some princeless t-shirts. Um, those are much more difficult to get through Diamond because they have ordering minimums on t-shirts that are uh, hard and fast and probably a lot bigger than we could put together. Um, and uh, the other big thing we're looking at right now is, um, you know, through working with Vamplets, we've gotten to know some of their, uh, um, you know, distributors and everything for for uh, plush, toys. plush toys. So um, it has been a thought as to doing, you know, uh, possibly putting together a, a Sparky plush. Um, that would be really great. Yeah, that's... Probably still quite a ways off, but it's definitely something that we'd like to do. And it would also be kind of cool if, like, you had a Skull Kickers um, crossover, if you had a Vamplitz crossover. I'm just putting that out there into the universe for all my Action Lab peeps. <laughs> well, we'll, I'll definitely, uh, well, we'll check with Gail, see what she wants to do on that, so. There's a there's mythical creatures involved, so I don't see why that couldn't possibly happen. <laughs> yeah, I've I've definitely thought about it. As ever since doing you know the crossover with uh, the Jim's book, I've uh, I've definitely kept the idea out there of of doing you know more crossovers and getting more people in because I I I've made no secret about the fact that I love comics and I love to support the stuff that's good out there. So um, I would love to to get to know some more people and get some stuff crossed over and have some general fun with the comics world. So, Well, thanks again, Jeremy. Um, hopefully, you know, all of these things, we'll, we put that out there. Hopefully th things that are meant to happen will, meant, will, will happen. Um, and uh, so don't forget, guys, to look for those, those exciting titles, uh, The Order of Dagonet, if you want to really get, get your silly going um, and uh, see, see your ideas of what a, uh, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, if they really, really had to fight their way out of a situation, how that would be. Um, you can find me, of course, at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter or at uh, AmberUnmasked.com. And um, if you, of course, have any questions and comments, send them my way. I'm always happy to hear, and I will try to get back to you. So thanks again, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. 
All right, you guys. Uh, thanks for listening to Vodka O'Clock. Cheers. <laughs>